0: This is going to sound stupid, but have you ever noticed that the darker the color of vape juice, the more quickly it ruins your coil? Yes. A thousand percent. One
1: trillion percent. Intro video. When it comes to culture
2: either side of the Atlantic, no one does it better. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you You Sucks What's the Difference
0: podcast with Alex Whiteley and Tom Bruno.
1: I don't like pretending like we weren't just talking. Uh, yeah, 100% noticed that. That was like one of those observations I made like so long. You're so far behind, Andy, behind all the observations that are made. These are the deep things that I noticed in life as I <laughs> wasted it. Um, hi, guys. Welcome to What's the Difference podcast. Um, I'm Tom Bruno. As you can see, the gentleman next to me is neither David Raby, who I forgot to invite to come on this episode, nor is it Alex Wiley. This is one of my best um, buddies and podcasting best friendies, Mr. Andy Emoff. Say hello to the kids.
0: Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me, Tom. Thank you, everyone, out there for listening to my nasally drone. Although Tom, I am just going to throw this out there. You shouldn't have like, it's actually my mistake. I should have changed my name at the bottom to Alex Whiteley and oh, we would God. just do it. And we would just pretend that Alex was here. Oh my God. Do you know how great it would have been like, wait, I thought Alex was the British
1: guy. <laughs> <laughs> Cause then all it wouldn't be, time. it wouldn't be called what's the difference podcast. It'd be like all the same, just two American dudes with a beard podcast, which I feel <laughs> is equally as important um i i kind of had like a backup plan for this as well um because andy you are the host of an amazing podcast called the horsepower hour yeah. well without there being a counterpart a british counterpart um or someone that's usually like you know involved with this this exact show andy has been involved with many of our shows because he's such a fucking amazing dude yeah. um i kind of thought maybe it'd be fun Um, So I was going to ask to come on your show eventually. Like I want to come on the horsepower The thing is I'm not a knowledgeable dude about cars. I don't know about things like that, but I do know about the shit boxes I have owned coming up in this
0: world. I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about that fucking because we have all had first cars, right? Everybody needs a shit box. First car. Anybody who thinks that their kid is going to appreciate a nice car as their first car. I mean, yes, there are those outliers out there but i don't believe in that for one second like my nephew when it came to getting his first car i found a 1990 ford festiva and it needed some work and i thought you know what this will be a perfect opportunity not only for he and i to bond but he'll get to learn how to work on a car uh it's a good car those are super reliable as long as you don't like just fuck them up wholesale and guess what? He fucked it up wholesale. It took him about a year, but he systematically deconstructed that vehicle one curb at a time. And uh, that's what you have to do with your first car. I'm sorry, but it just is. He treats all of his other vehicles much better. He's had a couple other cars since then. Uh, now he's rocking a 2021 uh, Mazda MX five retractable hard top. So it's called the, it's actually called a retractable fastback. So it's an MX five RF and he got the club sport model. So it's got all the racy bits. It's got a limited slip rear end. It's got the bigger wheels, it's got better, you know, performance air, air quotes around this for audio listeners, performance summer tires and, uh, you know, good shocks and and all that stuff. And it's pearlescent white. It's gorgeous. He's still going to ruin it, but oh, not yeah. as quickly as he did his first shitbox car. It's important.
1: Now, it, it is extremely important. A really quick sidestep. Um, do they still do um the rotary motor in the Mazda? Is that still a thing? Or is that like completely okay. it went just way out of base here?
0: Well, so the rotary comes in anything that Mazda calls an RX. Okay. So the rotary trucks, uh, we call them repos, uh, rotary engines. <laughs> yeah. Uh- <laughs> I love that so much. So we haven't had a rotary Mazda since the RX-8. And the RX-8 wasn't very, um, I shouldn't say that it wasn't well-received because it sold pretty well, but um, Here's the thing about rotary engines, brother. Rotaries are essentially a two stroke and people are people that know cars. They'll either agree with me or they'll get heated when I say that, but it's kind of the truth. Rotaries eat more oil just oh. because of the way they operate. They consume some oil. So rotaries are always going to be terrible on uh, emissions and they're not going to be good on fuel economy because they like to stay wet. You heard yeah, I agree with these rotary motors. Me and these <laughs> rotary motors, bro, I like to
1: stay wet, whether it's in the ocean or the motherfucking vagina. It doesn't matter what it is. I like to stay wet. Um, flywheel, right? Like, here are the, here are the things. I'm going to throw out keywords that all my very smart car friends said. And these are the things I, re- I like in the midst of, like, playing video games. But you see something about flywheel? Whatever. Back to fucking Tony. a pro skater. Ollie, bitch. Um, fucking so flywheel, right? That's, like, the big difference. That's the one thing I remember about rotary No, no, fuck. See, I wasn't paying enough attention. I should have put down the paddle. Okay. Um. Yeah. There was my buddy had like this funny joke, and I'm not gonna be able to tell it by any means. He used to like to call up um AutoZone, and he'd like ask him for a certain part for a uh, rotary motor. He'd be like, oh, do you have this for a rotary motor? But it was something that did not come in a rotary motor. And the guy would look it up for like five, 10 minutes and be like, oh no, I'm sorry. We don't carry that part. He's like, because it's not a rotary motor, you fucking idiot. And he'd hang up like, it, you know, he's a car guy. <laughs> like, I didn't say he was the brightest dude. I just said he was a car guy.
0: Look, that's, that's an okay prank. That's an okay <laughs> prank. But if you want to call an auto part store and prank them, here's what you do. You call them and you say, I need a water pump gasket for, a 1997 toyota tacoma 2.7 liter engine and why? well over well, my head tom yes i i am it's going to safe. show you why uh Can you, you, share you in just one moment yep
1: okay cool 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 fucking so in the in the meantime while you are looking that up um my first car like and we'll get into the the litany of fuck i've owned a lot of cars andy i've owned oh, yeah. so many fucking cars my first car like and i drove it illegally mind you <clears throat> um my dad um once again it was back to that uh, great time where i had non Hodgkin's lymphoma and my dad didn't really want to tell me no to things he was just uh-huh. like uh, you shouldn't be doing i'm like i'm gonna die He's like. <sighs> Ah, you little fucker
0: I just um, a photo of that gasket by the way
1: through facebook okay. messenger okay let's see if i got this here and he yeah. sent me a photo oh so man. just
0: <laughs> get the fuck out of here hold on i'm gonna i'm gonna fucking share screen yeah so imagine you're working in an auto zone and you don't know anything about cars because auto parts people just generally don't and yeah. uh somebody says yeah i need a gasket for my toyota tacoma and you have you, to look at that on your screen. Can you see that? hmm Okay, you see that? It, it looks like a dick. It
1: is the <laughs> biggest dick you've ever seen on a car ever, which is amazing because we have things like the fucking Tesla truck out. So you would imagine the biggest dick you'd ever see on a truck would be
0: that. Um, we did get to see the biggest dick on the planet uh, fly into space the other day. That was also, amazing. Also, the rocket was shaped like a penis. It was
1: <laughs> it's so true though. um, I think we were talking about it on the on the live we'll get we'll get back to cars in a second kids. um I, I think we talked about in the live, which was um like our parents got to see the space race and mm-hmm. we got to see a big dick flying into the sky, yep, which I mean is is arguably the same thing, I guess maybe, but regardless
0: um so my joke, I was pretty proud of it. that's why I keep recycling it.
1: I like it. It's a good fucking joke. Um, So my first um, car was a 1996 Nissan Quest van. That was Ooh. my first. Fuck. Yeah, dude. It, it was um, the standard forest green, um, a little bit of blue, had a sliding door, fucking a whole bunch of seats. And the reason that I fucking love this thing was is because I could pick up all my friends and i could Mm -hmm. travel around them bitches and we could do things that we weren't supposed to fucking do but we could carry a lot of us like a gang of kids which was
0: not dangerous at all as a matter of fact uh in oregon when i first got my driver's license so we're talking 90 what was that 98 99 it was as soon as i turned 16 um it was illegal for me to have other kids in my car until I was 18 or like more than one other teenager in my car something like that. That was an Oregon law. Was there anything like that with you? Yes,
1: um, there was. It depended, it, de- it was dependent on when you got your permit and license. So if you got your license early, like you go to driver's ed and you can get your license in high school. If that was the case, you had to wait like a full year before you could fucking drive around the kids in your car. But if you got it at 18, like everybody else, you could do whatever the right. fuck you want. They're like you're an
0: adult, crash your car. We don't give a fuck. Who waits until they're eighteen to get their license, bro? Who doesn't have their license? I have run into so many twenty somethings that are like, eh, "I never got my driver's license. I don't see the point of having a car." What? You still I, live with your mom,
1: bro? It's it's a rite of passage, and I don't know w- at what point we lost that where it was not a rite of passage. I saw it as freedom. That's is, all I saw. Freedom, dude. It it is freedom with a capital F. Like it like if okay, so we live in similar places. If, if anyone's ever looked at Oregon, by the way, um, I totally said that you're from the state of uh for some reason. I was thinking about another podcast and buddy of mine, and I said that you're from the state of Morgan, Mormons, which is not Oregon at all. Oregon is no. is not that. So I, I appreciate you not calling me out of my bullshit the other day. You're a good friend.
0: Well, it's it's a state of morons so I just
1: yes. assumed it was, one letter, um, one letter removed. It's it's good. I understand that. Um we're from similar states, or at least our topography is similar. We are very mountainous, very green, very pretty. And like, I, I don't know about you, but like, I had friends that lived around me. But like, once you reach a certain age, you're like, oh, cool, I love my friends, but let's go to the next town over. Let's go to the town over here. Let's go to the closest city. Let's do shit that's not in this yep. fucking town we've been stuck in for the last fifteen years. Yep. So without a car, I mean, public transportation was a thing. But here's the here's the quirky little funny thing: is my uh, my town. Um, <laughs> they they opted to not be on the bus route because mm. they hated kids. I guess um, because Burlington was like the main hub. Burlington, Essex, Williston; these all all these places had a bus route, and they that even went out to Montpelier, which is like the the capital of our state. So everybody had a bus except us. So if you want to get on the bus, you had to walk like five miles and maybe a little bit more than that to get up to a place called North Avenue, which is where the first bus would get you. And that's what we did for the longest time. But once that started becoming an annoyance, um, nuisance, I should say, uh, we we all demanded our licenses. So like, I mean, I'm sure it's the same thing for you, right? Like fucking you, you got reached a certain age. and You're like, I cannot do this anymore. I need a fucking car.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It kind of was. I mean, I, I grew up in a little bit of a smaller area and I've always been a gearhead much to the chagrin of my parents, by the way, my dad went to college on a, a baseball scholarship and oh. so Yeah. So, you know, I, I mean, I was fine with throwing out around the ball. Um, I played some baseball in high school. I played some soccer, um, you know, ended up ruining one of my, um, Uh, knees because of it and there you go but uh, you know my dad was like a a super sports star and I just was never into sports but I was a super gearhead I was way into go-karts and RC cars and just all kinds of stuff and you know the trade-off was I'd have to play a little ball like throwing it back and forth with him before I go and ride the go-kart but at a certain point you know you're 14, 15, 16 the parents aren't home because they're both working you've got a go-kart you're in a very small town you can get to your buddy's house uh through like ohv roads and, mm. and off-road trails instead of hitting the the city streets so i mean i wasn't quite as confined but oh you better believe like the very instant i turned 16 i was like all right license car did the whole nine um actually i started street racing in high school oh and, my god um, you're brian from fucking fast and the furious wish i was a cop and wish i was good looking <laughs> Don't wish I had a proclivity for sixteen-year-olds, but you know,
1: uh, <laughs> we all have our Yeah. I
0: mean, I'm um Yeah, about that. But Paul Walker was not. His moral compass was maybe not directly where you'd want it to be, but you know, yeah. hey, everybody has their flaws it's true
1: um speak so you you um obviously wanted and and obviously our statement is i don't know what you kids are doing but get a fucking license um so obviously you wanted you needed your license as a kid um what was your first
0: car my first car was a monster protege (laughs)
1: get the fuck out of here was it yeah oh my god tell me it was like a 93 Tell me it's like a 93. Those things were fucking garbage. 91,
0: 92. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Amazing. For anyone that's not in the know, a Mazda protege is the tiniest little itty bitty car ever. Like The only thing I think smaller is like is like a Hyundai Accent or something along those lines. That's maybe a little bit smaller than a protege.
0: It's funny you say that because when you have a Mazda protege, a Honda Accord, a Honda Civic, a Nissan Sentra, a Nissan Altima, uh, anything from Kia, anything from Hyundai, around that same time, they're just sort of amorphous. If if you know cars, you will be able to tell the difference. If you don't know cars, you're just like, look, it's an early 90s four-door shit can. Like, they all look the same. Yeah. As a matter of fact, at a certain point, not, not too long ago, uh, what was it? Five years ago, I guess, is when I did my part out of my last race car and haven't built anything since, but it was a 1990 monster protege. It had the running gear of a three, two, three GTR from Europe. It made 340 all wheel horsepower. And, um, it wasn't, I mean, look, a lot of people watch things like the, the show street outlaws, you know, Mm -hmm. those cars have 2000 horsepower and they're running the quarter mile in seven seconds. This was not that this was a solid 12 second car, but on the street, you could really fuck some people up. I loved pulling up next to hot looking Subarus and telling them that, you know, I want to go. And they would just look at me like, what? This guy is an idiot. Of course, what they didn't notice was the two thin sheet metal racing bucket seats in the front and then nothing else in the car. Yeah. And also I was on uh, DOT drag radial tires on all four tires. And also I tried to really ease up to the line and not rev too much because if i rev too much then we'd get a few fireballs out the back anyways that was the most fun car and you know why am i a 30 year old dude that's still street racing with a 90s shitbox it's a mental illness
1: I mean, but it's fun. It's fun. If, if anyone's ever been in a car that goes fast, like there is nothing better than pulling up on someone and just looking over at them and then looking at you and you know when you're going to do something really stupid about like five seconds as soon as that light changes. And then also you just start hammering on. Bah, bah, fucking, it's a good time. And as long as nobody gets hurt, man, I don't see any problem. I mean, it, it's as American as American graffiti, right? That's what that movie's all fucking <laughs> about, just for the most part. Um, street racing is just something that kids do because we're like, we're young assholes that think we're immortal
0: that's what we do and tom i have always argued that it's actually safer to street race a fast car than it is a slow car because when you're in a slow car and you you inevitably you're going to go 100 miles an hour that's the whole goal is to get yourself up into the triple digits if you're racing somebody else you're a slow piece of shit civic whatever it is going to take you for fucking ever to get there you're going to be foot on the floor going 90 miles an hour for miles waiting for it to hit that triple digits while you race some other shitbox integra next to you right when you have yeah. a fast car you're at 100 and you slow back down it, you know in a very short period of time speaking of uh speaking of Honda Civic like i remember my friends all wanted to
1: do like the uh the h swap over every single one of them they wanted the the uh Honda protege not protege that's the fucking mazda what was the uh prelude Prelude, thank you. The Honda Prelude um, H22 motor, yep. they all wanted that. They either uh, they want the Acura Type R motor. Every single one of them, they're like, dude, well, they're interchangeable, bro. Why would I not want it? And I'm like, I don't know, dude. Why do you want it? I'm driving this fucking Nissan Quest. <laughs> like, I, you might be able to go 100 miles an hour, but I could take seven people in this. Bitch. That's right. Who wants to go with the drive ins?
0: Okay, so this is going to sound really bizarre, but mm. the Nissan Quest it had a V6 in it. Okay and it was the nissan 3.3 liter it's called the vg 33 de um nothing special right it's just Mm. it's a fucking truck motor it's it's a it's a blah it's a whatever Mm. that is the exact same engine that they used in all of the nissan imsa race cars where they had them twin turbocharged and making 700 horsepower they were all vg 33s so in reality and you guys were too young to realize this But in reality, your Nissan Quest van had probably one of the better engines to modify out there. You could have very easily made 400 horsepower on that motor. Wow where were you when i was a kid andy i could be like shut up rest
1: of my friends andy my buddy over here you you first of all if you were my friend back then be like, i'm not your friend tom <laughs> i'm fucking gonna <laughs> hang out with your car friends who are talking about all the cool shit and you're over here trying to get you know weed and then well which is fun too don't worry i had a lot of fun so it doesn't really fucking matter
0: but brother but- you would have been in our group of friends because you had the weed it's
1: true. I definitely had the weed. Mm-hmm. Um, my buddy. Okay, so let us go back to cars. Uh, what was your first car that you were kind of proud of? Like, what was the first car that you had that you were like, "Yeah, this is this is pretty cool. It's a pretty badass car." But I mean, obviously, everybody's first car is a badass car because it's freedom. We already established that. But yeah. what was the first car that you owned that you were like, "Dude, fuck yeah, I own this bitch."
0: Uh, it was a nineteen ninety six Mazda Miata, and I did nice. suspension. Um, I had better tires, but on the stock rims. It had a roll bar um, exhaust intake. So nothing really on the power. But by that point in my life, I'd really gotten into autocross racing and the Mazda Miata and the uh, Toyota MR2 were kind of two really hot cars during that time and very competitive together. And it it was nice to be able to take it to an autocross. And funnily enough, Once I started racing, like truly racing autocross, that's when I realized like, oh, things have rules and regulations. Race cars aren't just throw everything you can at it and go and race. And so I did return some of my parts back to stock so I wouldn't have to be in a higher class where I was racing much, much faster cars and people. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was a car that I was very proud of. That one unfortunately got wrecked. It got T-boned by a big pickup truck. Um, The next one that I was really, really proud of was uh Mazda MX three. You're sensing a theme here. I kind of got yeah, it. Into
1: absolutely. Mazda. That was, that was my next statement. I was like, I'm
0: really sensing a Mazda theme. That's cool though. Mazdas are a good cars, man. I like them. I've, I've owned more than I would like to admit, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but uh, I did a two and a half liter V six swap into that. And man, that motor just sounded so amazing. It sounded like a fucking sport bike going down the road. It just, it was not as fast as a sport bike. It was slow uh by all, By all measures and metrics of today, that car was slow, but Mm. at the time, uh, it was keeping up with anything else on the street and uh, great, great times in that car. Lots, lots of modifications. I mean, like I said, the engine swap and suspension and wheels and tires. And um, I was never really into body modification, so I never really did, you know, body kits and stuff like that. Mm. Uh, The most I ever did to the body of cars was just. Cutting out space in the front to make room for an intercooler because I've turbocharged yep. it or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. But um, but yeah, I just I had a proclivity towards going out late at night, run and gun. And ironically, you know, I met my wife at a Christmas party. Um, and she was in pre med and I, <laughs> she's never understood. I, I took her out to the street races a few times and she was just like, I don't get it. It's one o'clock in the morning, and you're all standing around, and those two guys are arguing.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. fucking. Um, well, see, I, I, the only thing I really, I mean, I know a tiny bit about, a tiny bit, but like, um, we used to go up to uh, Naperville, which is like the, the Canadian racetrack right above my head, and um, there was a dude that had a Mazda Miata. They called the Monster Miata because he put a fucking 5.0 motor in yeah. it, and it was fast as fuck um speaking of 5.0 motor that goes into my first favorite car um not probably the sexiest thing but i liked it quite a bit it was the 1993 ford thunderbird with the 5.0 high output motor it was fast i mean don't go on everybody called it the fastest grocery getter around but it was quick as fuck real wheel drive it was standard it was dope as fuck dude i love that thing so hold on it was a manual oh yeah yeah absolutely those are hard to come by now dude uh, well see the thing is like the problem i got it and uh my dad because i argued with my dad because he bought my sister their car and i got my car from um my dad like the van was a family thing and they're like yo so here you go and um if i'm not mistaken it must have been right yeah because how else did i fucking do a burnouts with it unless i just did i fucking no. am i remembering wrong no, because it was that and then it was the Jeep. And then both of those fucking had manuals. And then it was followed by the Honda Civic, which I traded for the fucking uh 5 High output. Um regardless. Um so fucking I'm probably remembering this wrong, aren't I, Andy? I, I feel like you know something that I don't. Like they're like, they didn't make it in that, you idiot. I'm gonna go with it was am gonna go with it was uh I'm gonna go with it was, a, I'm go with it was standard. I'm not standard, I'm gonna go with it was automatic just because I don't want to sound stupid and you're well, a car honestly,
0: guy. Fine too. Like if if you were using it as a burnout machine automatic is the way to go because you just put one foot on the brake and one foot on the gas and go
1: well fucking that's the thing is like when the guy bought it i remember him showing me how you could burn out with it and i was like i was like that doesn't seem like it's good for the motor i was such a
0: fucking oh it's it's not good for anything you know what it's good for tom it's good for the soul
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like, I there's this hill that um I would go up every single day on my way to work up in Westmore. And <clears throat> it was always wet. You know, for some reason, hills are always wet. I don't know what it is, but they were. So I just fucking rip on it. as soon as I go up the hill. So my car would just start kicking out because that fucking real drive is bad ass. Um thing is that nobody respects anyone's cars back in the day. So one day I woke up from a night of drinking and there's all these stickers, these little nut stickers from uh, Home Depot. They're in the shape of a bolt and uh-huh. they were all over my car like it was a fucking golf ball and I was so mad. I'm selling that for the Honda Civic. Honda Civic was a shit box. So I sold the Honda Civic. I got a um 96 Jeep uh Cherokee, uh, not the Grand Cherokee, was it was the Cherokee Sport, I think because it was the four seater. Um, with like nothing in it It was so bare bones, but that was a hundred percent standard. Um, I think the four wheel drive was kind of iffy, like it Mm -hmm. liked to work. And then one day it just locked up on me, just completely just no more. I'm not going any further. Um, that was followed by, uh, the 94 Dodge Dakota sport, which I fucking loved. that little truck so much. It was the only truck I've ever owned in my life. And I loved that fucking thing so much. It was just like, I mean, it was the biggest piece of shit, but like it was a truck, right? Mm-hmm. And every every American movie you ever watch, the, the hero's got a fucking truck with a gun rack in the back. And he's, you know, usually loading up some sheep or something to fuck. I don't know what he's doing with those sheep, mm-hmm. but he's doing mm-hmm. something with them. Yeah, 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 So after the, so has it always been it's Mazda's? Awesome. It's a boss. Yeah. And they're yeah, making it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was it always Mazda's for you? Did you did you ever dip your toes in the different cars or what's up with that?
0: Oh, yeah. I had an Integra. Um- um, had a Mitsubishi eclipse for a little while. Um, I just really gravitated towards the Mazdas. I kind of became known as like the Mazda guy, and so mm-hmm. I was kind of the go-to when people needed to talk to me about that. I just I don't know what it was. There was something that I loved about it. Um, we had a 240 SX. I had traded my um 1.8 turbo swapped festiva. <laughs> um and that was probably one of the faster cars I ever owned. It, it would do high 11s um, at about 123 miles an hour um, and it was just, it was a Ford Festiva and it was completely gutted and it had a 400 horsepower um, Mazda wow. engine in the front and bigger turbo and no anything on the front because once you put the intercooler on, there's nothing else could fit and the turbo was yep. taking the space on one of the headlights so I only had one headlight and- <laughs> Uh, Getting pulled over (laughs) in that car was always an adventure because the cops would be like, I pulled you over because you had a headlight out, but you don't actually have another headlight, do you? And I'd be like, no, Uh, I I don't. I feel like you're fucking
1: um Bobby Boucher. No, not Bobby Boucher. That's Waterboy. I feel like you're uh what's his face from uh from Talladega Nights. You're like this sticker sure is inconvenient or sure not safe, but man, I love fake Newtons. That's how you feel about your turbo. Man, yeah. I don't have a headlight, yeah. but this turbo sure is sweet. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, rolling into boost at 4,000 RPM in fourth gear on the freeway and it makes me change lanes is dangerous and inconvenient, but I sure do love these whistly noises.
1: Okay. Okay. Uh, because I only have you for a couple more minutes. Um, everybody sees cars as a kid that they really, really wanted. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I, I know I sure did. Um, what was the first car that you saw that you you wanted so fucking badly? Maybe even wanted today that you just couldn't get because obviously funds, you know, we're kids. We can't get everything we wanted, as obviously. But what was the first thing that you saw that you're like,
0: I need that car? It was a Mitsubishi Starion. What's that? Mitsubishi Starian TSI. It's uh not it's not the greatest performance vehicle ever. Uh it has an engine that is known for blowing head gaskets very, very often and um doesn't make a whole ton of power, but man, are they just fucking cool looking? And not the first generation. You gotta get the second generation. It's got a wide body on it. Okay. It's it's just um I I don't even know I don't know how to describe it. I'm gonna have to send you. Was it like a um, precursor to the yeah. glant or something? Because I remember the Mitsubishi Glant. No, like my di- no. It's no, it's rear-wheel drive, um, mm-hmm. turbocharged, four cylinder, and and they are just as a matter of fact, you could probably do it quicker than me if you just jump um uh, literally just Google Starion, uh S T A R I O N, and then T S I. That's the turbo performance version, and they are just a Badass looking car. And now they've kind of reached a collector status and they're very expensive. And of course they uh, I are. still never had one, but they're just cool as fuck looking. And I've always wanted one. And uh, I remember seeing one when I was a kid. A neighbor of mine had it and he would just do the fattest fucking burnouts down the street. And uh, I rode in it. And of course, I thought it was the fastest thing in the world. It's oh, not. Yeah. It's not. It's not.
1: It's not. But that's okay because at the time it was. And that's how it felt um me on the flop side and i still want this car um obviously i prefer chevelle but i saw a 1972 maybe 74 um it's a little bit hard remembering obviously i can't remember if my fucking cars are automatic or, trans- or uh, uh manual transmission anymore <laughs> um but it was like a 19 19- was just let's just say a 1974 chevrolet nova mm-hmm. look of course it looks just like a chevelle except way shorter And it was metallic blue. It had the fucking SS lines down the middle of it. It was just dope as fuck. Black leather seats. This one, I remember... for sure it was it must have been fucking automatic because it had the uh, little shifter button on the fucking thing of it so there's no way which always drives me crazy when you watch Fast and the Furious because he's using that fucking automatic like a standard you're like fuck you it is not a standard mm-hmm. like I can tell you're pushing that button you cunt um, but I always wanted one and the problem is that like cars like that are coming fewer and farther between unless you want to put a ton of work into it it, it seems like you're just never going to get yourself something like that and the older we get the farther we get away from the 70s the higher in price it goes so that's kind of where i stand with that
0: yeah yeah i hear you that's the way it's going to be with any of these they call them hero cars i mean and i sent you a couple of photos by the way oh, um thank you they call them hero cars in movies because it's your main the car your main hero drives but also hero car is colloquially in the automotive community vehicles where you would just you would give your left nut for one of those you know what I mean?
1: Um, really quickly, I'm gonna share this because Andy has th- Andy was very very gracious to uh, come on today, even though. All right, so I've seen this car before. I have seen this car before, and it's so funny because this reminds me of this uh, little Nissan that my buddy had, um, Nissan NX, and that's exactly what that car reminds me of. Um, so uh, my other guest is here, um, Andy. I know that you are gonna go hang out with the wife. I truly appreciate you stepping in and hanging out with me, brother. You Tommy, are I appreciate you, man. You are a gentleman, a scholar. Um, You deserve all the blowjobs in the world. And if if I can ever somehow send you money to have you come over to Vermont so we can sit here and just talk in real life, I would. But it's probably never going to happen because I'm poor and I have children, Andy.
0: I know I'm the same way, but I encourage people to come and check out the Horsepower Hour. It's literally anywhere, anywhere that you get podcasts where you find this amazing podcast. You can find ours as well. And, of course, Facebook.com slash. The Horsepower Hour. Our group is the Horsepower Hour podcast. We got a ton of fun stuff going on over there, and of course, we do live streams, just like you got you and Alex do. Uh, but we go every Sunday, eight p.m. Pacific time. I know that's rough for a lot of people, but come and come and rewatch it because it's. We have a ton of fun over there. We've got. Great skits, great clips. We really put a lot of effort into it, and uh, I think it's a good product. And
1: it, it's an amazing product. And I actually saw a video the other day, lots of fun videos. um It was these trucks that were going over jumps, which I remember from a Nintendo game as a kid. Like that's a real fucking thing. Oh my god! And then I got became obsessed with it, so that's why I've been doing my time lately. Thank you, Andy. I've been ignoring <laughs> my family for something that you introduced me to. um You're welcome, buddy. Ladies and gentlemen, Mister Andy Amoff of the Horsepower. Thank you very much.
0: Cheers. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate you, bud. All right, have a good one.
1: All right, guys. Um, so this is just gonna be a podcast-centric episode. Our guest of the day unfortunately cannot be here, but I have another gentleman from another podcast coming in. Um, I would like to I'm actually gonna let him introduce the show better because I think because I bet she's gonna do a hundred times better than me. Um, let's all introduce our good friend, Mr. Jeremy Wilcox.
2: Hey, how's it hey, going, man? How bad, brother? How you doing today? Doing good, doing good. Uh just you know, just got off work, did some editing, just, uh, I did some logo work for a guy. So I just helped them create a podcast logo for him because I do that on the site as well.
1: Oh, snap. Nice. Um, I am, I've made like a couple logos. That's more of my partner's uh, gig. He's the, he's the brains and, and everything else. I'm just a guy who shows up in bullshits. That's, that's my job. Um, it, it's a very good job because I'm rather good at it, which I uh, stem to like lots of years of just smoking weed and hanging out with my friends and just being like, what do you think of this? So it's, it's good in a podcast form, but not so good when you want to get business done. You're like, Hey Tom, do you want to edit? I'm like, mm, sounds hard. I don't want to do that. It sounds boring.
2: Yes, I do. I'm a one man show right now. I do all my editing. I'm actually looking at at an editor right now from another podcast I've had on mine is um uh, so they're one of their editors. so yeah, i've I'm looking into that as well because it can be a bitch sometimes with having a nine to five we're not all Joe Rogan have somebody do it for us.
1: <laughs> I know, right? Well, I mean like it's it's good to know it's good to know how to like you know like I, I used audacity when i was editing i was using audacity to like edit it's a free program it's it's rather good it does the job you can level eight and all that good stuff um but it's, it's kind of like one of those skills that you should know if you're going to do something audio wise because then you can release once you know how to edit you can then release shows and it's 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 this is all it is right this is just bullshitting with good people usually real you know like like guests um or whatever but you are in fact a guest I, I don't know why i just threw up quotes like that, that that was insulting wow i'm a cunt <laughs> if i were you jeremy i'd be like fuck oh, you no. i'm a better guest than anyone oh, else no, i showed up <laughs> <laughs> all right man so <laughs> you have a fucking show i'm gonna pull up the info right there jam uh that's nerdy punk studios i believe that's your studio so let's try this one uh Phantom yes, squad, squad is all right all right absolutely so Phantom squad podcast uh do you want to tell everybody what that is
2: yes it is uh i started about a year ago i just hit my one year uh i think like two days ago i forgot to put an episode out about my one year because nobody cares
1: (laughs) Uh, i care jeremy i care
2: (laughs) but yeah it's a it's a multi it started just like me just reviewing uh like geek shit and just talking about like bigfoot and ufos and just crazy shit i was into and eventually like i got a i wanted to do like guest interviews and talk Talk to people. And so it kind of evolved. And like my first big guest was H. John Benjamin for you listeners. That's the voice of Bob on Bob's Burgers and Archer from the show Archer. And he just gave me a chance. And so I was like, well, if that guy can, you know, help me out, I kind of got into the interview. So that's what mainly what I do now is I talk to different people in the business. I've talked to, you know, directors, I've talked to artists, I've talked to, you know, book authors, anybody who has a story. So no matter how, Big name you are or not, I'll come talk to you. And then I do on the side, I do uh, reviews of TV shows like I just did. I got Paramount Plus. So I've been doing all the 90s kids shows I grew up on. So I'm redo- no. reviewing all of those to see if they hold up or if they were just shit. And I thought they were great as a child.
1: <laughs> um dude i i see it funnily enough we use okay so background people know this but you don't know this um this is actually the first time me and jeremy have actually spoken spoken we've been messaging um for the last couple of weeks but we've never physically spoken like we have now um i started off on a podcast called thorskin aha joke and um it all uh, do you are you you're familiar with kevin smith obviously ralph garman hollywood babylon by chance
2: yes Yes.
1: Okay. So Hollywood Babylon is one of my favorite podcasts of all time. Um, I was an admin for the the Garmi, which is a, a fan page of theirs. Um, and like me and a few other people, the admins, and I used to just crack wise and just say funny things like I tried to. And a dude reached out, a British boy reached out on the Internet one day and he was like, hey, Tom, um, I think you're kind of funny. My co-host is having a baby and I'd like to know if you want to do a podcast. I was like, that sounds gay. I don't want to do that. That sounds stupid. And he's like, well, what if you try it? And what if you like it? And that's not what I said at all. I was like, that sounds awesome. I'll try it. Why not? And um, he had to send me my first mic. I bought it off him. It was a blue snowball. It worked. You know, it definitely did the job. And um, we just started recording. And from day one, that was three and a half years ago, almost four years ago now. And we we start off, but the thing is, like our first real guest was Charlie Adler um, from uh, the, the Walking Dead. He was the artist for the Walking Dead. He happens to be a Shrewsbury local, um, where my partner's from. And we slowly but steadily realized that a lot of the guests that we were being introduced to didn't fit the criteria of our geek fandom like they weren't the people that we so we're like okay we got to rebrand this because it's kind of hard to t- have people take you seriously by saying a joke name like thorskin so we developed this show which is what's the difference podcast because one day we were having a conversation about oh you say things in english that i don't understand and i say things in english that you don't understand what's the difference between what we're saying and that's kind of the the ongoing joke and we've been doing it for so long um, so I, I absolutely understand that. Um, I, I think it's amazing the amount of people that say yes to podcasts, right? Like you you have this small show. We are not Joe Rogan. We are not Kevin Smith. But they, the amount of people that just give chances and just want to talk to us is just phenomenal. I don't know if that's because they want to take the chance per se or because they're like, I remember when I started out and nobody gave me a shot. What do you think that is?
2: I think it's just they see the same thing, like like H. John told me like off air. He was just like, yeah, I saw you, and he's like, I saw like you didn't have a big following at the time. Like I have a lot more listeners now, but at the time, he was like, I saw that you were a fan and that I wanted to give you a chance, and I don't really do podcasts, but I will give you a chance. And he made a joke. He was like, if I don't do any podcasts anymore, it's your fault. And yeah. I
1: was like, hey it's a claim the fame though. be like listen i i have a lot of claim to fame, but he doesn't do podcasts anymore because of me I'm just oh yeah like, and then
2: he it's funny because there's a if you listen to the real and i use it as a bumper now uh he fucks up the line where he's like hi this is H. john benjamin you listen to the fan podcast he fucks it up and i was like oh do you want to do it again and he's like oh no no we got it that's great use the fuck up it's funnier and i was yeah. like okay that's you being a comedian making the good choice
1: yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> it's it's it's. I mean, we're not gonna like. I'll play the video at the very end of the show. Um, I fucked up my bumper today. I used the old bumper. Uh, We've we've had a few of them made, and I and I love the one that the most recent one that we've had made. But I didn't get to use it today because I was. Um, we we were supposed to have the uh, basis from Blue October come on today. Um, I don't know exactly what happened. I didn't really uh, bother to double check with us, so he he's not here. But that's okay. I'm sure there will be an apologetic email in the future. Being like, I'm so sorry, I missed it. Which is you know. We'll put them on something else that's fine um but because my buddy Andy from the horsepower hour um I don't I don't know are you part of like any of the uh the Facebook uh podcaster groups
2: uh, a little bit I'm on heavy now I'm on a few of them there's some of them like I'm I don't there's a whole bunch of them that I'm a part of that I'm just like let me just post this here.
1: <laughs> well the way that you and me met was um, a 90s nostalgia uh type thing it was just um like obviously uh how old are you man let's start off there how uh, old are
2: you 26
1: 26 oh all right i'm fucking even younger than me so like you you're (laughs) like your knowledge of the 90s is probably i mean obviously you know a lot about the 90s but like maybe the tail end of the 90s is more of yours i'm the
2: baby of five so like my older brother is 10 years older than me so like all of his ninja turtle stuff became mine and then i had my sisters who grew up in the 90s so they had like their in sync and all their stuff so my music genres are very weird because i have his like uh what is it uh public enemy and then they're in sync. And then my dad's classic rock. So yeah, I'm a old, I'm old. I sound older than I am because I have that influence of like, Five things that got hand me down to me. It's
1: <laughs> fucking amazing, man. Um, like when like okay, so it just happened to be all the things that I loved growing up and up becoming prevalent, right? Like we all get older and then we have a bigger voice as we get older. So everybody that's in their 30s and their 40s. Right now, we're into the things that I was in as a kid. So I, I happen to have like a little bit of a voice when it comes to those things. And it's nice because like a lot of my favorite 90s things are people that I reached out to, like um, I, I loved Arya Afraid of the Dark. So I really wanted to speak to somebody that was involved then. and we end up getting very, very lucky. And DJ McHale, the creator of *Area for the Dark*, came on like uh, October last year. I set up a whole month of like spooky type stuff, and he was like the my favorite get of all time, like one of them. I was like, dude, this is just so phenomenal. And he like remembers a lot of it, but he's like, well, you might not remember this. And I was like, oh no, I remember all that and more, DJ McHale, because I still watch your show right now. Like it's it's the most horrible Canadian horror anthology show for children. I still throw it on to this day. And be like, oh, it's oh, where were you, this Nick, at night, motherfucker? You remember this, the big orange couch, hook oh, that's in my vein. Um, so that's how I kind of roll nowadays, which is actually very popular with people. And I, and I was excited to see um, that you were into a similar thing. So, how did you come upon being like, I want to, this is what I want to do, and this is what I want to talk about? Because that's always important as a show.
2: Well, I i kind of always like originally i had my microphone like because i do a lot of voice acting and do voice stuff and i tried to get into that and i'm developing my own animated series at this moment and so i was like i have a decent voice and i was like i always you know for i wanted to go to school money wise i wasn't able to but i always wanted to go to school for audio engineering but at the the church i was in at the time i had like experience from like two guys who had. 30 years and the other one had 40 years of like audio engineering experience. So I just learned from those guys. And I got into you know broadcast media and learning how to do that kind of thing, you know, recording stuff. And so, and like I've like I said, I've always been in recording music as well because I'm a musician, so I'm multi fucking talented.
1: (laughs) Yeah, don't ever undersell fucking Jeremy Wilcox, man. He's got a lot of shit going on.
2: So hence, like I'm wearing I made my own fucking merch.
1: Yeah. How else are you gonna do it?
2: yeah so like but yeah how i got into i've always been like a big fandom guy and like i've liked all different things i'm like i know there's multi you know pop culture things but like they don't do it in this certain way they have like only one show for this or this show for that i'm like nobody does like a altogether geekdom so i was like well why don't i make one show where we just don't talk about just the fandoms we also like talk to the people a part of the fandoms who made it like one of my favorite guests like you said the guy who created the are you afraid of the dark i got to talk to john Davy, who is a creature actor for doctor who pretty much if you've seen any guy in a mask any dalek or cyberman that's the guy
1: all right all right i wish i really wish alex is here right now because he's my partner Alex Whiteley, and uh, he's a british bloke and he would be frothing at the mouth right now because I believe he likes Doctor Who. I my sister likes Doctor Who quite a bit. I never quite understood it um, personally. In fact, my 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 sister liked it so much, and her husband loves it so much that like they had a Doctor Who themed wedding. And um, I'm I'm very much of a bastard where they were like, "Show up is your favorite Doctor Who character." I was like, "I don't like Doctor Who." You know what, I'm gonna do? I'm gonna show up as something else. So, what I did instead was, um, I fucking showed up with a suit because it's my sister's wedding. I didn't want to be disrespectful, but I had a, I had a high my name is a sticker on it and it said, uh, Bruce Wayne on it. Cause so I was like, yeah, that's my favorite fandom right there. Batman, Batman. My sister's like, you're, you're an asshole. I'm like, no, yeah, I know, but that's okay because I'm your brother and you love me. Um, so where are you from, brother?
2: i am from macon georgia it's like an hour away from atlanta so i'm in the oh, okay. south
1: <laughs> all right fucking where the walking dead was shot
2: <laughs> yeah i I'm, I'm, made my girlfriend Hence, uh my hat uh, this is from sonoya where me and my girlfriend a couple of weeks ago just went and like uh, as an anniversary thing too because she's a big big huge walking dead fan like i used to be like i read the, the graphic novels and i watched the yes. show but uh, it, it says big words to me when the creator kind of goes, Hey, I'm kind of done with this and you, you can definitely tell the creator is not a part of it anymore. Yeah. So I kind of, after Robert Kirkman left, I was like, yeah, this is not for me anymore.
1: Yeah. It, it started getting a little but wonky. She
2: still loves it. And so we, it's great.
1: I like I like the graphic novel quite a bit, um, which I got introduced to. I didn't even know it was a comic book. It was one of those things I found out was a was a comic book after the fact, and um, I think it was in its first season. I was like, and I caught it first episode, and I was so in love. I was like, oh, this is where TV's at nowadays. This is excellent, and then um, you know they hinted the fact that it was a um, it was a, uh, a comic book and so i started collecting them i got the first uh compodium um like soon after that and i fucking loved everything so it was just so brutal so honest it made me it reminded me of like a james obar type of deal anyone that's not familiar with james obar he's the one that uh wrote and drew the uh the crow comic book back in the day um black and white very gritty grungy indie it's so beautiful and i i just really fucking loved it so you're from macon georgia right macon did i pronounce yes. that right? Okay, Macon, Georgia. Yes. Um, Which I've actually been to, by the way. Um, a lot of my family lives down south—North Carolina, Alabama. So I've been to Macon, Georgia. If I'm not mistaken, or at least drove through it. I was like, "Hey, look, Macon," because uh, I remember the name.
2: Um, uh, it's basically if it's it's the place that has the big cherry blossom festival that like Otis Redding and like Little Richard's from here. Oh yeah, yeah. So a lot of like yeah, a lot of famous musicians are from here. That are, like a lot of older musicians are from Macon.
1: Oh, okay let's see that's what's up i mean there's something about that that sound right like sound from the deep south fucking especially when it comes to like rock and roll and a lot of country is just you know really
2: oh yeah a lot of blues that. musicians as well it's it's a Absolutely. lot of blues as well like i think M- muddy waters it's one of those other guys i can't remember that i think he was uh one of the guys that played with muddy waters is from here as well
1: Oh, that's what's up, dude. Um, So what are you uh, what are you watching right now? Like, obviously, you're in the fandom. You're I mean, is there like are you a guy that tries to keep up on everything? Or are you a guy that really kind of falls into the into the loves of your life and then you never leave? What is what is your like uh, what is your TV or movie watching experience right now?
2: I'm trying to keep up with everything, but it's hard because I work night shift. So it's hard oh, watching so hey. Yeah. So it's hard working up doing that, you know, watching when you get home and try to sleep at the same time. But I'm, I'm into a like, I just got into uh, The Good Place. I watch, you know, Mandalorian, uh, yeah. Invincible. I just finished that. I'm big into comedies. And there's one that me and my best friend are right now. We just watched the second season. It's called uh, Tim Robbins. I think you, you should leave what and it's uh it's, oh, it's so funny it's very very dark dry humor mm. like uh there's one scene he's in the uh like a big rubber suit trying to prank somebody and he's like i'm freaking out there's too much shit on me i can't breathe he's like and then he just stops and he's like i don't want to be here anymore I'm like what do you mean it's like the rubber suit i just i just i can't i can't and he's like freaking out and just all these little skits and shit it's just it's hilarious and then uh i'm big into like i'm a big comic guy so like dc marvel i i think we can all coexist so oh, i like weird. all that my biggest fandom that a lot of people are shocked about because of my age i am what i would consider myself a beatles historian so like the beatles are like my one fandom and like it's my favorite band is the beatles
1: paperback right what are the beatles i don't what are we talking about here <laughs> um my mom was a is a massive Beatles fan um I, i'm very grateful that like my road trip experience which by the way is a purely american thing like so there you of course find some anomalies throughout the world but like road trips is american that is america That is was american as baseball which of course is based off of cricket but regardless um fucking it is american as hell and i've been driving the east coast interstates from the day that i was born until today like when we go places i prefer to travel by car for um, you know a bunch of different reasons but one of them being that i like the road trip soundtrack and it was always the beatles it was the rolling stones it was led zeppelin it was the beach boys it was all these things that kind of like still are in my playlist today like when i when it's summertime i mean you don't play the beach boys in the winter. That sounds stupid, but like in the summertime windows down beach boys, blaring dude, followed up with some really good classic Beatles. There's nothing better than that. Right.
2: Oh yeah. That's, that's, that was me too. Like, cause my dad is a big like classic rock fan. And like, so I kind of, when uh, having like my parents being split up, like when I've gone like weekends with him, that would be my time, you know, just hang out with dad on, you know, go hanging out road trip. That's what we would do. Just road trips, going like yard sales and stuff. And you know, know work on stuff but we would listen to you know classic rock at the same time same bands you know his favorite which was kiss and then a little bit of which i had a great moment recently no hate to anybody who likes five finger death punch but my dad uh I, they're okay but he was like son i found this awesome band called five finger death punch and i was like i like you i like they're good dad but let me show you somebody better and i introduced my dad to kill switch engage
1: yes yes oh jeremy you and your buddies already man well see the thing is i my issue with five finger death punch is i liked some of the music when i first started like jackal and Hyde. i was like oh that's a cool song um i, f- I found into them later on in life i'm a big snowboarder when i can um obviously i got three kids so like i don't get to do as much as i like to but when i do i always have much like akin to road trips i like a playlist i like listening music while i snowboard and kill and um Five Finger Death Punch made their move onto my playlist for a hot second. And then I watched some of their music videos. And as much as I support the soldiers, I'm like, those motherfuckers really support the soldiers like every single video. I'm like, dude, you don't have to make every single video about the soldiers. We get it. You like them. That's cool. That's great. Like make your music, something about you. Like, and I get that one of them is in the service. So they served in the service at one point, but it's like, dude, make say something more individualized to yourself and don't just do it because you understand that now a bunch of people that are serving our country, some wonderful people that are serving our country are going to like it because they're represented in your music. That's, that's a little silly to me.
2: Oh yeah. It's like somebody that I love because his uniqueness, even though I know he gets some hate because it's, quote-unquote satanic uh i'm a big rob zombie fan and i just oh, i love dude. love his stuff my dad was even surprised he was like oh son i've been listening to him since the 80s and with white zombie and i was like okay we can bond dad i i love i love rob and my girlfriend she's a big like she listens to his music but she's more about like his movie stuff so i was like yeah. oh if you like his movies let me show you his music videos and i just showed her the one uh the, what is it the life and times of a teenage rock god and yes. it's got like a rip taylor devil and she's like what is this i was like this is the guy that you like making your movies.
1: <laughs> well, I find that to be such a '90s notion, by the way, of like satanic. It's, there's nothing. It's a show, and the thing is, is like if we think about like Kiss, the Kiss is a great example, and they, I guess, they would call him satanic. They them satanic as well at one point or another. Everyone was so convinced, like it stands for Knights and Satan Service. Like, no, I don't think it does. They've de- they've devoured that a few times. They've also played with it too. Like, yeah, sure, it does. Maybe it does. But they're guys. They they understand that a show is a show, and sometimes when you want to go see a show. So you put on a stage performance. And Rob Zombie understands that better than anyone else. I went and saw Rob. Um, uh, I think it was like two years in to know my wife. So like 13 years ago, he came up to Vermont. and It was an excellent show. Did he understands how to put on a performance like no other?
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. He, and he said it himself. Like, he's like, I grew up around, you know, carnies and at a, like carnival circuses and stuff. He's like, and I basically hookers and carnies and clowns were my life. So that's what became my brain and informed who I am. So what you're seeing is what these, all these in his words, all these fucked up things just mushed to my brain and you got Rob zombie. And he's like, then you're throwing a little bit of monsters and universal monsters. And there you go. And which I'm looking forward to. I don't know if you've seen, he uh, speaking of fandom stuff, he's actually working on a, uh, I think it's either a, I think it's a series, a monsters uh, reboot series.
1: Oh, no kidding. I do not even know that. Um, okay, so this just got very, very interesting. Um, hey, Jeremy, I don't know if you want to stick around here for a hot second. But um, yeah, um, this can be interesting. Um, all right, guys. So here's what happened. I'm, I'm guessing times got messed up. Um, but that's okay, because our, our guests actually showed up. Do you want to stick around for an interview, Jeremy? Yeah, sure, dude. All right. Um, I I really wish I could ask him prior to um him coming on because I don't want to butcher his last name. Um, but if anyone's familiar with the amazing band Blue October, we have the bassist, Mister and Matt Noveski. And please tell me I got it right, Matt. You
3: said it perfectly, actually. Yes. Yeah. Yes.
1: That's right. Master of last name. That's Tom Bruno. Fucking. I-, I can say all the last names. You got one that's simple to say. I got it. Smith. Um, Smith, yes, Smith, Brown. These are the names of our generations. Fuck it. If you got anything else, don't don't say it. There you Um, go. Okay, so, Matt, this is Jeremy Wilcox. <laughs> Jeremy Wilcox is a buddy of mine that I met on a 90s nostalgia thing. And I kind of started this an hour ago because um, I'm guessing the times got crossed like they sometimes do. When, when you're mis- mixing with uh, with the British timeline, the Eastern Standard Time, the Pacific Standard Time, like there's so many different times and they get crazy. And I'm guessing something got lost in translation. But, damn, I'm grateful that you're here right now, man.
3: Oh, is that okay? It's I, I, I had on. 2 p.m. my time, so – um,
1: no, you're you're good for me man i i cool. do the, oh, yeah, the opportunity to be able to, <laughs> the opportunity i'll to speak to you sir is far more valuable to me than any time like times no, times is is it was crazy okay so anyone that is not familiar and how dare you not know who blue october is um they are a rock they're all i mean is alt rock band even the thing to say anymore does that seem kind of offensive at this point? no that- i Man,
3: I love alt rock. I love hearing those words these days, you know. um, I think I think we still consider ourselves an alt rock band, but we 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 like to we like to call it art rock.
1: art rock. Yes, yeah. actually, I saw that on your Wikipedia. I was like art rock. Like, yeah, is that like folk art rock? are, they, are <laughs> um,
3: well, Justin says romantic art rock. so i don't I don't know. he's I don't know. I can't keep up with him. He's just got way too much energy.
1: I, I like that though. I like I like throwing like a positive spin on something that people might deem to be not necessary. Like, because I always liked alt-rock. like alt rock. Like alt rock is tends to be the genre that I particularly like. But a little bit more, um, uh, an amazing band from Texas, and um, there's a they have a few top hit singles, including one off, uh, what was it, uh, Into the Ocean, but as well yeah. as the one that I was the most familiar with, which is Hate Me, right. and when my partner. Um and it was like, dude, this is who we're interviewing today. I was like, oh, okay. I'm. I think he played this. I was like, oh my god, I remember that fucking song. Holy shit, that's who's coming on. He's like, yeah, it is. <laughs> and you, sir, play an instrument that's near and dear to me. Uh, you are the bassist for said band, correct? I am. Yes, I'm the bass
3: player for the band.
1: That's the uh, that's the instrument I played as a kid. Oh, um, that's I awesome! Yeah, I, I am not musically gifted at all. I I played bass because we had uh, like everybody that wants to have a band when they're a kid. I um, I had a band called Extortion X. Nice. You know, no, no E X. Oh, uh, wow. you, you you probably heard of like, from none of the music that we put out. All the <laughs> time in the basement that we spent, we were really big to our parents. Right. who hated us. <laughs> um, but um, funnily enough, I I played the bass. Um, I got to play it in jazz band which was the only way you could play a, a good instrument was by being in jazz band yeah. which means i also had to play the trumpet um so that means all my friends are like oh you just like to blow things i'm like yeah i do i, I like trumpets bro <laughs> that's that's how it goes um trumpet's but, not but, easy man that's hard dude. it, it wasn't easy i i mocked yeah. every i didn't mock but i i imitated everybody else around me i'd watch them play and that's how i'd get through band the entire time i'm like right. hey, you're yeah. pushing down this key this far i probably <laughs> sounded horrible i bet you my band instructor hated me in fact he hated me so much that he lived down the road from me i got a note on my band this shows you how dedicated i was to music i got a note that really threw me off you know as a kid you, you everything just kind of makes you mad anyways but i got this mm-hmm. note on my on my stand which said tom I saw you smoking today at the bus stop. He's like, if you don't stop it, I'm gonna tell your parents. And I was like, fuck you. I quit that day I dropped off my shit. I took my base. I'm Hilarious. too rock for you bitches. So where does that So I, obviously I kind of spoiled the surprise Texas, but I mean, how does it all start for you, Matt?
3: So, well, so I'm actually the only guy in the band. That's not originally from Texas. I've been here oh. since, uh, since nine, uh, new year's day, 99. Actually I moved, I moved down. Um, and um, so, so I mean, I've been here forever now, for twenty three, almost twenty three years at this point. Been in the band for for that long, um, minus a very brief hiatus uh, in the early two thousands. Um, but I grew up in northern Michigan, so moving from the very top of the country down to the bottom of the country was a huge kind of. It was a it was a big deal, and it was a it was culture shock, and it was everything else. But I, um, I I saw the band live, and 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 that's what got me. Hooked. That's what got me really interested. They had, a, they had a, a self, like a self-produced record that they had made in the mid-90s. And I was familiar with it. I had heard it. Um it, but but it wasn't until I came down and I saw the band in concert in Austin on Sixth Street, uh playing at this place called Steamboat, which is kind of this legendary like downtown Austin club, that I was fortunate enough to be able to go see and then see just like it was that kind of intangible thing. You know, when you see certain bands and you're like holy shit like this is destined for greatness you know i remember seeing rage against the machine in 93 the beginning of 90 no it's like late 92 and i was like this band is going to be massive like they're going to be massive there's no way they're not going to be massive right yeah. uh, while like i don't i don't consider us massive um you know we have been successful and we've been able to do it for a long time um i i, I like that that intangible thing was definitely there you know in the show in the live show.
1: For sure. So you, so you have a similar story to the guy who sings for Journey right now because he was a fan of um of Journey for a very long time. He just happened to really sound like the dude from Journey who passed away and all that. Um, yeah. so I, that's that's a fucking excellent story. That's way better than being there from the beginning because being there from the beginning is one thing, right? Like you're there, you start up a band, you happen to get famous, whatever it might be. Being the guy who sees something and loves it, and then you get to be a part of it—that must mean a lot more to you, right?
3: It was very cool, man. It was really cool. Like the stars just aligned for sure. You know, I was I was in bands in Michigan and I was always kind of like, um, I was the guy that was always mailing press kits in my band, you know, and trying to get gigs and like, and like, yeah, we'll, you know, you need a fill in band four hours away. We'll be there fucking be there, you know, like
1: who's got that's gas what
3: money I did Let's ship it. yeah exactly <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll worry about that when we get to the gas station
1: yeah. um <laughs> i got things i could sell i got a kidney yeah. i got a mouth i got all <laughs> these things who wants Dude, gas <laughs> that's st- story of my life man <laughs> dedication um, is what i hear
3: yeah uh yeah but get, you know getting to come down and 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 see it and then like i have to be a part of this you know like There's something there's something happening here that I've got to be a part of. And being able to do it was like it just really, really perfect timing for me. I had just broken up with my girlfriend. My band was in this like kind of weird hiatus up in Michigan at the time. Like my job sucked. You know, I was just pretty much like it's time to go. (laughs) It's time to go anyway. You know, and it worked out great.
1: So is there like a culture shock um, jumping from like, I mean, because I'm from the top of the country as well. I live in uh, Newport, Vermont, which is the tippy top most part of Vermont. Like literally if I fire a potato launcher in any given direction, it's a terroristic act at that point because I'm going to hit Canadians. And you don't want to do that. They don't they don't like that. They're very nice, but they don't like uh, potatoes anyways. Um, so is it a big culture shock going from the tippy top of the country all the way down to the bottom? Did Jeremy freeze? Did I freeze? Did I freeze? I must have froze. Is my is my internet doing something wonky? Oh, I can it? still hear you. You can still hear me? Okay, so you're still there, Jeremy. Matt might not
2: yeah.
1: be. We might, have, we might have lost Matt. Matt might join back oh, in. I camp.
2: think Matt's froze.
1: Matt is froze. <laughs> Either that or he's the most serious rock and roller of all time. He's like, I'm not even going <laughs> to dignify that response with a response, dude. I'm going to fucking stare at you coldheartedly and tell you how I'm going to kill you later on. I had so many questions for Matt too. Oh, he's gone. He'll come back. I guarantee. And they pop back up. And Jeremy, feel free to cut me off and shut me up whenever you want to, because I tend to want to like as we were talking earlier. I tend to want to overpower oh, yeah, any yeah, conversation yeah. with my massive, massive voice. Um, yes.
2: Oh, um, oh, I know. I'm uh, same as being a, a podcast host myself. I'm like, oh god, I don't want to cut off the guest <laughs> or the other host. I don't want to cut anybody off because I'm used to be the one going, huh? So how did you, uh? <laughs>
1: You um, it's all good. Um, I was just saying that your stare was so powerful. I was like, man, he's just so serious. This is what happens <laughs> when you meet real artists. They're just so <laughs> powerful. And I'm sitting here bullshitting in his face. Um, so is it a culture shock going from the top of the country to the bottom?
3: It is, man. I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, and this is like pre, you know, it's not like they like people were just hopping on the internet back then. And, you know, everybody was on the same page. Like you, you were, I went from an area um, that just felt like, I feel like where I was at, it was like, Oh man, we are like on top of everything. Like we know what's cool and what's hip and what's now. And, and then I thought Texas before I came down, I was like, Texas has got to be just tumbleweeds and belt buckles. And like, you know what I mean? And like everybody rides their horse to work or whatever. And I was really shocked when I came to Austin to see what a beautiful just beautiful city it was and how how, like there's rivers and and lakes and trees and it just blew me away, man. But, but it definitely was a different world. You know, like I, I, like hearing people say y'all was super weird to me at first. And (laughs) I just was you know, it took me a while to get used to it for sure. But, um, but now I, you know, I live in, in Austin, just outside of Austin, in Dripping Springs. And I can't imagine being anywhere else, man. I love it here.
1: It's funny how quickly you pick up on the accent too, right? Like, before you go, oh, yeah. you're like, am I posing these guys right now? I'm like, I don't mean to, but, like, this is how they talk. And yeah. I feel like we're all sort of chameleons in our own way where, like, you move somewhere different. You are somewhere. If I go, okay, so um, a lot of my family lives in North Carolina. When I go down there, I start picking up the drawl really fast, even though I've never lived there, but I visited every single summer. I'd go down there and spend like a week or two. So it's amazing how quickly I pick back up on it. Did you find that to be something true to yourself or is that not so much the case?
3: I didn't notice it until I went back, you know, until I went back and I saw my friends back in Michigan or my family and they're like, what happened to you? And I, you know, I'm like, what? I don't have an accent. And they're like, Oh yeah, you do. You definitely do. Like you definitely don't sound the same, you know, as you, as you did when you left. But then again, I didn't hear the, the Michigan accent till I moved away. And I was yeah. like,
1: Holy shit. That's gross. You're like, you know? listen, you're all a bunch of assholes right now. I'll tell you that much for free. <laughs> <laughs> that's Pretty much, you know, like my my sister.
2: South, uh, I don't know if you guys can hear my accent. <laughs> I can.
1: I can tell you, yeah, I'm from the tippy top north, man. I hear it all, yeah. and and of course, like I don't pronounce my T's. Like I say, Vermont, Vermont, and yeah. um. So like anyone else, like where the fuck are you from? I'm like Vermonts, and they're like, oh, what states that? And I'm like, you bastards, we're the 14th <laughs> only. I'll have you know, right.
3: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Green Mountain Boys. I have, war. Uh, Vermont is one of my favorite places in the world man oh. it's absolutely I love Vermont it's such a beautiful part of the country it's absolutely gorgeous that is yeah. so
1: kind of you to say and what no, a great really, liner you are no
3: I, I'm serious I love it I <laughs> absolutely love it and, and and um maybe we just had great experiences when we were up there but it was what's the name of the venue that we play there
1: um Higher Ground?
3: Higher ground, yes, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. that's the big oh. one, man. Higher ground. Um, funny story is like that's where I saw Rob Zombie. Me and Jeremy was probably talking about before. That's where I saw jo- Rob Zombie. My buddy Damien, um, he was like, he was the good member. You know how everybody has like a really good member of a band? Like, mm-hmm. you, you're like, I'm not gonna, that's no commentary on yourself, sir. That's just like speaking in my own personal experience. I was sure. a shitty bass player, um, but I was different though. I played left handed bass and I was like, I'm just like Paul mm. McCartney, bitches, and I can yeah. yeah, I have no talent and I can't play. So right. I was not, like paul mccartney um (laughs) but like um he was the he was the real heart of the thing because he could he just understood music like nobody else did that i knew um who was it? eve six came and played at higher ground and they had this competition on the buzz which is the local radio station the the rock radio station and they're like yo call into the buzz play an eve six song over the over the phone and if you win you get to go on stage and play with eve six my buddy 13 at the time beat out everybody else that called in he got a they gave him a Walshburn guitar all sorts of things oh, and he got wow. to get on stage and play with eve six um it was it was really really cool thing so that's the venue for everything is higher ground uh walk so me cool. through walk me through um obviously you listened you listened to blocktober you're a fan walk me through getting to be a band member how's that go
3: Well, so I actually the guy who was developing them had introduced me to him and um, I knew him kind of long story short. Like I said, I was the guy that was always um, that was mailing press kits and always trying to find opportunities and hustle, you know, hustle, hustle, hustle. And Mm. we opened for a band that was on Universal um, called Sister Soleil. And it was a last minute gig. It was in Lansing, Michigan. And it was like one of those things where, again, you're playing like you're losing money to go play it. But I was like, I don't care. I just want to play. So we went down and we did the show. And um, a couple of guys from her band really liked us, like really liked us a lot. And I think it's because we played a Pixies cover. So I think they were just like, oh, we like you guys. And so they introduced us to her manager. And that same guy uh, was developing Blue October. And so he introduced me to him and he gave me a copy of the CD and I was like, man, there's, this is poetry. Like there's some really, something interesting is happening here. And obviously like nobody in Michigan knew who they were yet, you know, um, um, or who we were yet, I should say, but, uh, but um, he invited me to go down and check it out. And I didn't like, at the time I was like, it's a free trip. Yeah, I'll go. Hell yeah. And I really like the I like what I'm hearing. And I think it would be really cool and I, but i didn't realize completely that the, his kind of game plan was there was a girl that was in the band before me on bass and she wasn't super serious i don't think she was super serious about it mm. i think bass was a hobby but you know like for me like i that's what i do like that's my passion you know and i'm it's kind of like what you're saying earlier like there's sort of i always say there's two camps of bass players there's the guy who was the shittiest guitar player in the band so they made him play bass because it has four yeah. strings or yeah. Like I really was drawn to bass because my uncle played bass and I I grew up on Motown and and then punk rock. And, you know, so like, to me, I just always gravitated toward the instrument. Um, So I was very serious about it. And I think that he knew that I was really serious about it. And so he kind of had these grand designs of like, maybe I can introduce these guys and if she doesn't work out, he'll jump in the band. And, and like I said, the stars just align. Like Justin and I, I met him, we flew down, I met him. And then I, I met the guys and, and it was all very innocent. Like I'm just going to check out the show and enjoy a free trip and then go home. And then it turned into like, uh, something else, you know, mm-hmm. where, Oh, there's, there's an opportunity here. And, uh, I, man, two weeks later, I packed up my little Volkswagen Fox and broke my <laughs> lease and I said, fuck it. And I moved down and that was it.
1: That's amazing, man. Yeah,
2: It's a Motown and stuff. Like, did you have any influence in like the R&B sort of like with the flea? Like, did you have any influences with that, that same kind of rhythm instead of just your normal, like bass that from like regular, like, you know, seventies rock, did you have that more influence from the hip hop?
3: So I, um, funny enough, the band that I was in, I was in a band called switch up in Michigan and we actually, we covered, uh, the far side, we covered, um, Oh my gosh. Like everything from like rocket from the crypt and pixies to far side and tribe called quest and de la soul. And so I like, that was a big part of my life. So when I started making my own decisions, Motown kind of came from my dad. Right. And my Mm -hmm. uncle. But then when I was old enough to make my own decisions, I got really into, you know, Jane's addiction and fishbone. And, um, I I was like really into the chili peppers, of course, flea is a huge influence. But so when I, when I started playing bass and bands, I mean, I went right from like, like not knowing what the hell I was doing to playing Primus and Chili Peppers. Yes. You know what I mean? And so like, that's, that's what I was playing. That's what I, that's, that was my, you know, that was my thing for sure.
1: Yeah. See my biggest problem was like i did not take the good influences like i wasn't i was listening to tool but i wasn't listening to tool right like i knew like schism and stuff but you if you listen to certain bands you can really how listen to how bass driven they are like les claypool from primus like Mm -hmm. fucking um when you listen to Tool, it's very melodic very bassy um even going back to queen like a lot of it's very bass driven but the thing is though is and obviously with the drums and the guitar being as prolific as they are that's what people tend to have an ear for as i got older i was like damn dude i really wasted my time there's all these these amazing influences that i just missed out on because i wasn't listening but now that's yeah. all i do like when i listen to like rage against the machine i hear the bass first is that how yeah. that works for you do you pick up like uh the bass rhythm of it all and then you pick put the rest of it together or how does that go for you when you hear music
3: um it's all because i i produce um i produce other artists um and i've been doing that for a while now um I I kind of like I feel like a lot of bass players wind up producing other bands because the bass player role in the band a lot of time is just to glue everything together, you know, because because here's a fact and whether people want to admit it or not, um, whether you have like a really solid pocket playing drummer or not, every guitar player rushes. I don't yes. care. Like they all fucking rush. Every single one of them doesn't matter how good they are. Like they all are always ahead of the beat. So I'm always like, okay, you open up pro tools or whatever. I'm going to slide the guitar back just a tiny bit. It's going to sound just right. Okay. The bass player in a live show is basically the producer because all you're trying to do is to get the drummer and the guitar player to play together, you know? Absolutely. And like, so to me, that's kind of like, that's a big part of being a bass player. So you wind up, Like the sort of the quintessential personality of the bass player is like you're usually laid back, (laughs) non-confrontational, you know, chill, fun to be around. Um, Like that to me is like that's kind of always the bass player in the band. You know, it's like the um, um, what's the movie with Kate Hudson, Almost Famous. Yeah. Where, like, yeah the, the, you know, the bass players like they're arguing is like, can we get some barbecue? You know, it's like that's totally <laughs> like that's the bass player role, you know, is to be like the voice of reason. But to also really kind of keep the band fucking like playing together and glued together and let everybody have their moment. But but be comfortable with being taken a step back and not being at the front of the stage, you know, and like I really I really like that. I really relish that role. I enjoy oh, yeah. it.
1: It's, it's so true because like, like my favorite bands growing up, like uh, my two favorite bands of all time, Um, we followed CKY around for a long time. I fucking love them. C- dude, I, I had Darren on not too long ago. He is an amazing, amazing dude. I was so grateful to talk to him. In fact, I was such a big That's fan awesome. that um, <laughs> um uh, Bam Margera released a shoe a long time ago, an audio shoe. And it was a CKY signature shoe. And it had a – dude, tell me I have this shoe right here. I do. Oh, okay. I'm going to be a fucking asshole and oh, it on my awesome. desk. Okay. So I followed CKY <laughs> around for so fucking long that I was in so many band pictures. Like if you can, Look oh, nice right here. Oh, oh right there. That fat face right there is me as a 16 year old kid in the front of a CKY show. Whoa. And I just happened to be on a shoe. My buddy called me up when oh, they freaking the fuck. Amazing. I was like, dude, you're on a fucking shoe. You're Michael Jordan. And That's like, crazy. Oh, yeah, yeah. I listen to a lot of uh, CKY. I listen That's to a awesome. lot of dude system of a down. Dude, they are my favorite things. And if you think about the basses from there, yeah. they are not the ones that cause the drama. And I'm not saying that music yeah. is naturally dramatic. I'm just saying, like, there's a lot of personality when it comes to music. There's got to be. You're hmm. creating art for fuck's sake. Yeah. And when you think about the basis of most bands, they are not the ones that are creating the the dramatics behind it all. Um, yeah. you never thought of Shavo as being dramatic. He's just the guy that's just like when you look at the the signature players. He's like, dude, he's just there, flipping his fucking guitar up, man. He's that's just he cool. Is. It's he's just as cool as, as hell. fuck with his yeah. beard and shit, dude. He's the fucking man, totally. and he's a badass
3: dude. bass player too. Yeah. Yes, he
1: fucking. Thank you for yeah. saying that, man. I yeah. appreciate you even more, man. I love his playing.
3: Yeah, I dude, love his playing. It
1: is fuck. oh, they're just one band, dude. They they like them, Rage Against the Machine. Like I remember, like kind of Offspring. I remember falling into a groove with things, and they weren't the things that my friends fell into. Like obviously, mm-hmm. CKY was. We all traveled together to see them, and System of Down is something I got introduced to by my best friend. But like mm-hmm. you, you, you kind of like have differences in music. I was really in Sublime. I was really into offspring i really like blink-182 for the longest time like things yeah. along those lines a little more poppy a little punky um and of course you know sublime being like that really weird amalgam of like ska reggae punk and like uh like a little bit of rap too sometimes yeah. um it, it's funny how you fall into your groove now you said r&b um and, and motown were kind of influences what bands really kind of drove you as a kid was it always those or was there other things that kind of like made you who you are today
3: so I'm I, so I love Motown. I'm from Michigan, so of course, like the Detroit Motown scene was a big deal. Stevie Wonder, The Temptations, like all the Barry Gordy bands. Like I, you know, I, I just I really grew up loving that music. But I actually always had an affinity for the West Coast funky. Like, everything that came out of the West Coast to me was super cool. Sly and the Family Stone in particular. I love Sly and the Family Stone. I love Larry Graham. I love his bass playing. Like, I, you know. Um, and then, of course, the Chili Peppers kind of the same thing. They were like, they came from the West Coast, you know, and they like. Uh, Anthony was originally from Michigan. Oh, and actually Chad's from Michigan too, funny enough. So it's like you had the Detroit meets LA kind of weird thing happening there. And I think that there's something, I don't know, there's something about that. That's I've always really liked. I like the Like California surfer, you know, meets like Detroit funky thing. I've always just been a big fan of that for sure. But yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, Okay, so you join up blue October. Um, mm-hmm. you know, the stars aligned, as you as you were so well said. um, walk us through, like, you know, the first concert, what it leads up to what like, bring us into like your first big hit. Walk us through that if you don't mind
3: well, so so funny enough, like, um, the first concert was great, actually. it was it was in the, it was in the band's hometown, which is in San Marcus, like right just thirty minutes south of Austin. Everybody really welcomed me with open arms. It wasn't like, the band wasn't quite at a level yet where it was like I was replacing somebody and got a bunch of hate mail or something, you know what I mean? Like people were just super cool about it. And like, I just like instantly just felt like I knew everybody forever. And it was a very like comfortable environment. It wasn't hard to jump into. Um, It was just really fun right off the bat, but I also wasn't used to playing in a band that played as that much, you know, it's like my bands, we were lucky to play one or two shows every weekend You know, so going to from that to like, I remember the first time, like, after two weeks of playing, like going because at the time, Justin and Jeremy, the brothers in the band, their dad and mom were essentially managing the band at the time. I remember going after a gig and we all met and it was like, oh, yeah, here's your paycheck. And it was like fucking. It was like five hundred bucks or something. I was like, holy shit! I just got paid. <laughs> like I actually, am, I'm actually making money. You know, like I, I wasn't expecting to get paid. I just thought I'd just go play. You know, so like, um, it, it's like kind of stepping up into like, oh, I'm in an outfit that actually has their business together, and actually, there's a, an actual budget to record. So it's not like, hey, man, can you know, like I was used to like. You know, going to my friend who had a studio in, in Ann Arbor and being like, hey, man, I will I promise I'll pay you back later if you just let me have four hours, you know, and it's like to like an actual professional atmosphere was like for me, that was a big change. You know, I just wasn't used to it. Um, so the shows at first were easy. What, what what I the hard part for us as a band, honestly, was when we made our first album, we, we it just didn't react and it, mm-hmm. and we got dropped. And so to me, like being in your early 20s. And, you know, and the whole world is your oyster and, oh, man, I'm I'm signed and I'm going to making a record in L.A. And like literally like, you know, like all the bands you're just talking about are like in the same studio you're in, you know, like all your dreams are right in front of you to like, okay, the album comes out. It falls flat. Nobody listens to it. Nobody gives a shit like that was really humbling for us. Mm. So so long story short it wasn't until 2006 when foiled and hate me and into the ocean were on that album. It wasn't until then that we actually had a hit hit. So we went from being really underground and like not fitting in with the limp biscuits and the corns and like, just kind of being like the bastard child of those festival shows to all of a sudden we have this record that's like, we get re-signed to the same record label, which is crazy. We put this record out. And by that time it's like when you're, you know, I'm six years in or seven years in with the band at that point. You don't think anything's going to happen. You know, you're just like, yeah, we'll just make a record and we'll have some moderate radio play and whatever. And then all of a sudden you're out doing radio press and your man. And our manager is like, guys, it's number two.
2: Like, holy
3: shit. Like this is blowing up. But at the time it's like, is this real? Like we've been doing this forever. We're just used to getting by, you know, like, is this actually, does this really mean anything? And then all of a sudden we got to a level of like, okay, now we're touring nationally, headlining, drawing people, and opening for the Stones, and Kiss, and Aerosmith, and all the bands that you want, you know what I mean? Like the the real big shows being on huge stages, like that was like, it wasn't something that happened quickly for us at all. So I feel like mentally we were able to handle it. Yes. Which is a big
1: part of why we're still together today, honestly. Oh, absolutely, and I there's something to be said about you know putting in the time and the energy because a lot of those bands that just get big really really fast, you know, like you said they don't stay together, they don't they don't appreciate, they just nosedive as quickly as humanly possible. It, yeah. It's it's unfortunate, but it's a true thing about music. Sometimes you're hot, sometimes you're not. And when you put in the real work for it all, not only do you love it more, not only is it more unreal to you, but it's also you appreciate it more and you don't take it for granted. Do you think that's the case? Yeah,
3: I think so. 100% man I again I, I have a studio here in Austin so I get to I get to work with a lot of other bands and see a lot of other bands and 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 the bands that come through that have been doing it for a long time that have really been doing it for a long time it versus like the baby bands that are blowing up that come in it's a different world man those bands come in and they're like they don't take it for granted that the bands that have been around a while they're very grateful that they can still play and they still have an audience and like And they take it very seriously as where, like, a lot of times with younger bands that have instant success or immediate success, the bands don't last. They blow up. They fight. They don't get along. There's egos. There's, you know, it's like, I'm important. I'm just as important as you. And it's like, it's just, you know, it just it has a tendency to implode, you know. So and then not only that, it's like going through what we've gone through for the last year and a half. I think there's a whole mm. new sense of gratitude. Of, like I feel like almost every band that's at least getting out there and playing now is like, holy shit! Like having that taken away from you and now being able to do it again and play again. Like there's a whole new sense of appreciation for it. Uh, for so everyone, uh,
1: have you got to do a show since the end of COVID? Like, have you guys got to get on backstage yeah. and, and do your show?
3: So we um, we have done uh, five acoustic shows, full band acoustic. Full capacity, though, you know, like, like pretty big, pretty big crowds. And the first night was in Dallas. And it was like, it just went, you know, I went from like a year and a half of like, not being around people very much to playing in front of whatever 1500 people or whatever. And like, man, Oh my God. Like, I mean, it sounds cheesy, but you want to cry, man. It's like, I've missed this so damn much, you know, like this is such a big part of my life and to have it back was such a great feeling. But we, the, the, the electric show, like the rock show are, are we, we start September, the first week of September, actually, and we'll be yeah. out for three months.
1: You guys are uh, gonna be touring with Google goo Dolls, right? My buddy kept on throwing that out there. He's like, he's like, they're gonna be touring with Google goo Dolls, do goo goo Dolls. I'm like, dude, why goo, goo dolls? That, like, I, <laughs> is that is that the case? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: So so not this fall, that's actually next summer. Okay. So that that got rescheduled twice. So we were supposed gotcha. to do it one summer and that got pushed to another summer, and then I got pushed back to another summer. And um, it's kind of funny because I like I I mean, I can only speak for me, but when the Google goo Dolls like when I moved down and first joined the band, they were massive and they're still oh, really yeah. big,
1: but oh, yeah, massive.
3: Yeah, yeah. But I was so wrapped up into being like, you know, I like Jane's Addiction and I like Strung Out and all these other bands that like I never really gave Google Dolls a chance. I never really gave like Semisonic a chance or Gin Blossoms or a lot of bands that were kind of part of that era. And now hmm. I look back and I'm like, the songwriting so freaking amazing and so fantastic like i should have appreciated this back then man so i'm really excited to go out and play with him i really am
1: i I think there's something to be said about youth and being closed-minded when it comes to music at least i can speak personally i don't know about you jeremy when i hear your opinion one second like um you like something and it's right in your your wheelhouse you love it but anything that's not in that area you're like no you just have power right you're like oh like my little sister was really into um into uh, my chemical romance, but that was like not my scene. So I was like, yeah. "Ew, you and your stupid emo music." And then, yeah. like later on in life, I realized that six of the songs I love the most are from them. I'm like, "Wow, I was just an asshole that was being judgy because I had totally. no time for your music when yeah. it's really like you were ahead of me with what's cool." Jeremy, do you feel that's the? Do you think that's right?
2: A little bit well for me, it was a little different because, like I said before in the early interview, I grew up with like the youngest of five, so I kind of had influences like for my brother from you know Public Enemy, my sister's at NSYNC, my dad oh, with classic rock, my mom with country, so I kind of got a little bit of everything. And so, like, it's just I guess it just depends. Like, for me, if it sounds good, I'll listen to it, but like, I'm the same way, like, there was a I'll give an example like Jonas Brothers at the time when I was young I was like ah gross Jonas Brothers but when you go back you're like damn they actually have some pretty good some pretty good songs and I was yeah. like admit to that and then so it's just like the one thing I wanted to ask you too as well like being a producer with like music stuff um, how have you like with the young artists like about being like a one hit wonder like you know being like the fuck a seagulls having the one song that the guy doesn't even play anymore. How would you as a producer when an artist ask you, like, how am I not going to become a one hit wonder?
3: That's a really good question. Um, And by the way, I can I'm the youngest of six and I can totally relate, man. It's like my Mm -hmm. sisters were listening to Prince and Rick James, but my brother was listening to Iron Maiden. You know, so I I actually have this really funny memory of, like, when I was a kid, I was listening to Prince 1999 on my sister's record player with headphones, and I was laying on my bed, and I opened my eyes, and my brother was, like, standing above me with this look of disgust, and he was just like, "Oh," and he, like, stormed off, and I was like, oh, no, I let my big brother down, you know, I should have been listening to Metallica, but,
1: um... When doves cry is a fantastic fucking. Oh, song. it's so great, oh, it, dude, yeah. dude! It's so great, especially <laughs> now that he's dead and everything. You'd be like, "Yo, Prince yeah. is excellent." Michael ja-, and I've always loved Michael Jackson. I mean, Same, I I, yeah. I know it's very controversial to say it, whatever the fuck. Everybody, the man's dead. Leave him alone. Um, I love that shit so fucking much. And there's something so to say good. about that, like that early to late, like fucking rock and roll, because it's all and like entwined in a rock and roll. I mean, you can't listen to beat it and not think that you are like, dude, that's one of the greatest guitar riffs of all time. There's a reason that's put on so many things and so many people fucking use it. Um, that, but let's get back to Jeremy's question. though. That's very, very good question. I'm sorry. I, I, you said Prince. I was like, I fucking love Prince. I do too, man.
3: (laughs) Uh, I was, I was actually just listening to beat it and thinking that too. That's funny. Um, yeah. So what, like working with younger uh, with younger artists, uh, and that's a big passion for me is like I, it's not just producing albums, it's mentoring. I, I love mentoring and I love working and and being through so much bullshit myself and being through so many ups and downs and drug abuse and, you know, the band almost falling apart. And like everything that we did as a band, like I feel like it's almost kind of a duty for me to to help other kids and to help other young artists and musicians like, Hey guys, like you don't have to go through the same shit we did, you know, mm-hmm. because I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to share some stories or I'm going to help you navigate some of these things. And I really enjoy doing that. I do. I love working with, uh, I have three kids. So, um, oh, you know, right. so I, uh, nice. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 uh, it's kind of, but it's kind of like, it's that same, like, you know, what you, you the role of a dad, you kind of take some of those same, Things And that same philosophy when you go in the studio with younger artists or artists that are now half my age, which is crazy. Um, (laughs) But, you know, but to me, like, I think more than anything, um, there are definitely uh, I I would say that artists are so worried about being a one hit wonder that they wind up being more concerned with being cool than their music and their Mm. craft. And so I've had experiences with with artists where I'm like, look, of course, you don't want to be, you know, just known for this one song or this one thing. And you wind up hating that song eventually and you have to play it forever. But at the same time, you've you your your songs are everything, man. Your songs are your babies are your assets like don't don't. Shy away from a creative idea if it seems too mainstream or if it seems too accessible to you just because you think you need to be clever or cool because being clever and cool isn't going to help you. It's not going to move the needle in any way.
1: Well, there's something to be said about having an anthem, right? And I'm sure for (laughs) many people, you know, Hate Me was an anthem at one point in their life. And that's important to people. Like, there are plenty of songs that stand out. They're like, at this time, like, I can imagine, like, sitting down listening to this and I was going through a bad breakup or whatever it might be. And that's all meaning everything. To that person at that time yeah. so when they hear that song even though some people might not like that song and I'm just using your song as, a, as an example not that sure. it is the case but um like it, it means everything to them and it brings back nostalgia and so much so even if you yourself at that time are not too you know fond of it you I'm sure you play that song still because there's those people that are out there yeah
3: now that's <clears throat> that's very true um and for us in particular the music is so I guess like that's the biggest difference between being in blue October versus all the bands I was in before that is very rarely were we actually ever saying something in my old bands, you know, it was Mm. like, Oh, that's a cool riff, you know? And so it's like, why don't more girls show up to our shows? Well, duh, they don't show up because you're not fucking saying anything, you know, you're not like they're (laughs) not, they're not connecting, you know? So being with blue October has been, has been really like sobering in that way because Justin writes everything lyrically from the heart and everything is very like, nothing is held back. Nothing is off limits. Nothing's, you know, it's like, it's very, very honest and very genuine. So to us, even if like, you know, playing hate me live after a while, I was like, okay, how many times are we going to play this song live or whatever it is? You know, it's like, can we, can we just not do it this tour? <laughs> you know, just once, can we not play it? Like, of course, every band experiences that with the song that they're expected to play over and over again. But wow. to me, um, I, uh, I think the thing to remember is like you you look at the people in the crowd and you see their reaction to it and that's what matters. It's not about a, like I feel good playing the song or not. It's about that somebody is connecting with it and it's helping them. Absolutely. That means everything.
1: It, it's it's so incredibly important. I mean, music, it like whether you like to admit it or not, I mean most people would not have a problem admitting it, but like it just means so much and it's such a good um, barometer to be able to like point you in certain ways. And it, in uh, like, there's certain songs I still put on, say, like, you know, like when doves cry or like a thriller or something on those lines where I'm like, oh man, I remember when I first heard this. I remember who I was with. I remember yeah. what it meant to me. And it's, it's, it's a, it's a time machine. It's one of the greatest time machines of all time. And I don't think, I think people tend to take that for granted, which is an unfortunate thing. Um, so you mentioned that the band went on hiatus um, at one point. Um, you guys had some problems. Do you want to, you want to talk about that at all or <laughs> do you? Skip over that. yeah no yeah. that's
3: fine I, well i i had a personal um i left the band for two years um i had a personal hiatus um uh but i i found my way back into the fold very naturally and very easily um and fortunately nobody worked out while i was gone <laughs> on mm. bass like they had a couple bass players they're they're really good players actually very very talented musicians um um i'm actually friends with them um really good friends with one of them and uh It was just more of a it was just more of a I think that like when I joined the band, we just developed this brotherhood and this chemistry that's just kind of there or it's not, you know. And so I think that when they they just never really gelled quite the same way with anyone, when the opportunity came back up for me to come back into the fold, it was just a no brainer, you know, and I, I really missed the guys. I really missed the camaraderie. I got to do my own thing for a while, which is really fun. Um, but, uh, I, I need, I had some growing up to do for sure. I had, you know, I had to kind of work through some personal things and, and, and get my shit together. And so it, it worked out for the best for sure. And then later, uh, I like to say Justin took his turn. Um, Justin got really, really bad, uh, into, he was going through a pretty nasty divorce. And, uh, drug abuse became a major issue for him yeah. and it pretty much tore us apart at one point. Um, but when we figured out exactly what was going on, we, instead of just going, well, fuck it, you know, like got to move on. We, we had an intervention, yeah. just, you know, the, the classic intervention, you know, and sent him off.
1: There, there's something to be said about that because once again the camaraderie I really wish I had that in my life instead I had a wife that was just tired of my bullshit she's like listen you're sneaking around you're doing drugs yeah. and it's not helping our family at all like you need to get your shit together if you want to keep doing this and I was like yeah that's a very valid point I remember uh, I remember my breakthrough I I, I really always like you know I grew up smoking weed I mean of course mm-hmm. you know drinking I stopped drinking at one point because I was like eh, I, don't, I don't really like the way it feels but painkillers make you feel excellent all the fucking time I don't care who yeah. lies to you says that they don't they do and yeah. if you have um, some you know personal demons about you there's nothing that silences them quite as easily as you know just popping a pill an infant pill whatever you might have you um or going a little bit harder if that's your case and i remember having my second kid and i, I went cold turkey a few times because i really want to fight it but the thing that you know people don't like to talk about is unless you truly want to stop there is no stopping you like you yeah. you will always fall back to it so easily because life is hard Life yeah. is not ever going to be easy. And the easy thing is falling back. That is the easiest thing in the world. Try, try standing up above your bed and falling backwards. So simple. You just fall. Yeah. Um, and it's the same thing with drug use. So I remember, um, my kid, luckily nothing bad happened whatsoever. Um, that he was in the bathtub, this much water, like literally just splashing around. Ah, everything's fun. And I'm sitting there doing the nod and I'll yeah. a, a splash, like a loud splash. I fucking jump up and I run to the bathroom and he's like, ah, everything's fun and happy and stuff. And I'm yeah. like, that's how quickly it happens. Yeah. That's what happens. And that's how people die. And that's how you're going to lose your totally. family if you don't smarten the fuck up, man.
2: Yeah. So,
1: it, it, like, that was the last time that I really kind of like fucked around. And I, you know, I, I owe it all to my family and my wife, who was just very, very understanding about the fact that, you know, we're all broken. We're, you know, we're human. That's our biggest yeah. thing is we're, we don't like to admit that we're flawed. And so you can't always be Superman, but drugs make you feel like Superman. So you're like, fuck it. That's what I'm going to do. And that's kind of how I personally grew and it's it's always good to have people around you that can be your support structure because one of the things that you don't want to admit is that you're flawed. Your friends, I'm sure it was very hard for him to tell you guys or for you guys to confront him about the fact like, listen, dude, you're really kind of hurting this right now. And you are a great person as you don't need this to be a good person. It might make you feel great, but you don't need it. What was that like to you? Like as a bandmate trying to confront, you know, a friend and a brother to tell him that he needs to do something about this.
3: It was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life, to be honest with you, like sitting down and like, Reading our letters, you know, like we all wrote a letter and reading our letters to him uh, with his wife, who he's still with, who is an amazing, amazing person. I'm just so thankful he found her because that set him on the right path, you know, and then us all coming together, the band, our management, his parents and her. We really are a big family and we are a big family because we went through this traumatic thing together and came out the other side, you know, but he 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 could have made two decisions. There are two decisions in front of him. Right. And he made the right decision. And it was incredibly difficult to sit down and go, look like you, you, I love you, but you suck right now. Like you (laughs) suck right now. You're, you're just like, you're, you're what the fuck, you know, like, please don't do this. Like, please just, you're so much better than this. And for him to listen and go, okay, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to go deal with this. And then um, for him to come back embracing sobriety the way he has has been unreal. I mean, it really has. And it's just put us as a band in a completely different place. And like to be, you know, the age that we are and like doing what we're doing now and, and continuing to play the shows that we're playing now and like going through what we're going through now. Like it's man, we owe everything to that intervention. Honestly, like that, that's, that's pretty much the whole reason that the wheels didn't come off the whole thing in the first place, you know, but, um, but, you know, I, I went through my, you know, to be honest with you, it's not something I talk about a lot, but I actually went through uh, the exact same thing with the pills, uh, exact mm. same thing with, you know, and part of the part of the issue, too. And I still like I, I get pretty passionate about this um, uh, when I when I read certain things or when I hear, you know, uh, the opioid crisis um, yes. and, and is is for me, a big thing that was kind of a mind fuck to me um, when it was happening was I had a prescription, and so I didn't realize that doctors were just getting me hooked on something. Mm. And just wanted me to spend money and come back and keep me as part of the machine. And you justify, well, it's not heroin, it's not this, it's not that, because it I'm getting it from a doctor. You know, it's like I I have a certificate for this. Don't tell me what to do. You know, and but then when you're when it it, it doesn't work anymore, and you got to buy it, and you waste your money, and you chase it, and you and you're being a piece of shit, you know, like, uh, it it can happen quick, man. It really can. And I, I, I can relate to that story very well.
1: It's, it's so funny because like you, and I'm sure you might feel the same way. Like you feel like such a scumbag, like pulling out money from your bank account, going and buying these things that your body is craving at the moment. But the moment you get it in you, you forget all about it you're Like, Nope, it's cool. Everything's fine. I'm better now. Yeah. And you, you totally just diminish because of the realest moments are when you're withdrawing and you're like, man, dude, fucking, there's just so much wrong with me right now. I need to yeah. fix this. But then you get high again. You're like, Oh no, I'm probably fine the way I am. I, I was I'm supposed to. Be.
2: Right. This, this is exactly.
1: supposed feel. Like, I'm it's, supposed to feel great all the time. Yeah. Life's supposed to be great, right? Yeah. Um, Dude, that was some of the dude, Matt. First of all, thank you so much for sharing that, dude. Because I mean, it's real talk, and sometimes people get a little like you know, uh, trepidatious about sure. it. But real talk is so incredibly important because it helps people not fall into the same pitfalls that you or I happen to fall into. Um, we're, we're running a little bit late on time. Um, my wife just, you know, I don't know if you saw her coming, she was like, Hey, do you want to go on a boat? And I'm like, That yeah. sounds awesome. <laughs> I know, I know. Listen on a good note, listen on a good note. You got uh, you got three kids, you don't have to drop names or anything. How old are your kids?
3: Uh, 13
1: uh nine and five. Oh shit you mean you're yeah. dude. okay so i got a 10 year old i got a seven year old i got a six year old man We're there in the you same go. um <laughs> they awesome. obviously they obviously know who dad is i mean they yeah. they must be pretty stoked about this
3: yeah man they are uh and particularly my my you know my 13 year old is she's at that age where it's hard to be a 13 year old you know um yeah, and um and you know but for her like she's really She's very supportive. She really loves the band, and she's like really, really good friends. We, like we all have kids now, so they're they're all kind of this big family too, which is cool. But her and Justin's daughter are the two oldest, and they have this really cool friendship that's really – it's awesome seeing the bond between them is awesome, you know and my youngest has actually decided he he tells people he has a band called Green October is his <laughs> band which is fucking hilarious but I, lo- I love it man I'm like oh that's cool yeah
1: yeah'm yeah. Yeah, gonna I'll see you in court son but that's yeah. really cool I like <laughs> yeah, it a lot. I, enjoy it while it lasts that's cool yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 you just walk by you're just playing your bass like what? What <laughs> yeah. dad? Oh my fucking god, Jeremy! Do you have any questions for Matt, dude? Before we head out of here?
2: Um, not that I can think of, that's that's that. I asked the main ones that I had. You you hit the ones that I didn't get to. <laughs>
1: all right, excellent, dude. Okay, well, let me. Okay, first of all, Jeremy, dude, thank you very much for coming on the show in general, and thank you very much for sticking around, dude. Like you, you're an excellent host, dude. And um, please tell everyone what po- um your podcast and where they can listen to you.
2: Oh, yes. It's Fandom Squad Podcast by Nerdy Punk Studios on all your platforms and just. Look up the uh you'll see the Ramones look alike logo talking about ripoffs. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's not a ripoff, it's it don't, it don't say that loud. That loud. Anyways, um <laughs> Matt, where can people follow you? Where can people listen to your music, man? Please, this is your time to tell everyone everything about you.
3: Yeah, so we actually have our own channel and app now, which is super exciting. So, like a bunch of our live stream concerts, a bunch of our our documentaries on there. It's it's getbackup.tv. So go check it out for sure. I highly recommend it. Um and then, of course, you know BlueOctober.com. Uh, Blue October is on Facebook and TikTok and Instagram and all that. Me personally, I'm only on Instagram. I'm pretty terrible at social media, to be straight with you. But, um, uh, but I'm just Matt Noveski on Instagram, just my name, straight up. And then also my studio's on there. It's Orb Recording Studios. So if you get a chance, uh, Orb Studios ATX on Instagram. Go check it out
1: absolutely um really quickly let me just tell you guys um my this i am tom bruno from what's the difference podcast you can find our stuff on uh you um that is our hub for all of our amazing shows we have this show what's the difference there is well, wednesday night live our weekly what live show uh we have yelling at clouds the eric Fluger. we just barely re- um our friends uh over at Usuck chronicles now just chronicles they released their last episode on our platform they will be doing their own thing so please check them out uh we have pod aid coming up on september 29th International Podcast Day. We'll be recording 24 hours for you live. We are bringing on a bunch of amazing guests. We have comedians. We have hosts. We have so many different people that are coming together for this great charity, which is Lingan Davis. It's a cancer charity out in Shropshire, and uh, they, they really need our help, man. We need to do something, and this is also a challenge in the future. If you have a show or something, we are challenging you next year to come on and do your own potty to join up with us, and we're going to raise some more money for some other different charities, so please keep your eyes peeled for that. Um, I'm going to get play our intro music and then we're going to get the fuck out of here so let me do that and i'll play the good one this time all right listen up spuds this is zap brennigan eh? master of time space and everything else in between and uh, oh yeah winner of this year's modesty award you're listening to you suck what's the difference with Alan and tom you're one stop for this sort of thing yeah